Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello everyone, welcome back. David here, I hope you're doing well. I have a great guest for you today. I have Lachlan Wilmot from Athletes Authority, or Lockie Wilmot. If you come to Ireland and you don't know someone's name, if you just go with John for a guy and Mary for a girl, you're going to be right about 30% of the time. And when I was in Australia, when I was in Sydney in particular, uh, I lived there for a few years. And if you go with Lockie for a guy in Sydney, you're going to be right probably 30% of the time. I had never met a Lockie before I moved there. So lots of Lockies. But um, Lockie has been a massive influence, I think, on Australian SNC and now maybe SNC around the world over, over the last few years. He got to the very top of Australian sport. He's worked in the NRL and uh, Australian football as well. So rugby league and Australian football. And uh, got to the top with two serious teams there. And now he's working with, and he's the co-owner and he's the head of head of coaching, head of performance in Athletes Authority, which is an athletes only gym in Sydney. They don't, they don't take in any other clients. They rehab athletes and they train athletes and that's it. And they have a big team and they're working, in, working on like building a, a, a huge brand, to be honest. And um, we talked about kind of how they're doing that and how he thinks about that and quite a detailed one, like down to the color of the floor in the gym, what athletes want to see, all that kind of stuff. So I think a lot of coaches, when they get into the industry, they would love to work with a professional team. And if they can't do that or if they don't want to do that anymore, they would love to work privately with athletes. Well, Lockie has done both and continues to do both. So a really good person to talk to there and um, I think you're really going to enjoy the episode just on our membership site where we've crossed over 470 members now so we're we're, we're climbing fast and um, we're delivering basically we're, we're doing that because we're delivering really good content I think so don't forget to, to join us there probably most of the people listening will be will be members already but if you're not uh, then you should jump on board this week's content I'm going to do kind of a, a change of direction week so we're going to talk about change of direction and I'm going to look at a couple of specific examples on change of direction and co-contractions and freezing degrees of freedom and how the nervous system figures out how to freeze relative motions and protect from injury basically for well it's not just injuries for performance as well but protect from injury and uh, create stiffness through the limb for performance as well so we're going to look at that video on Tuesday and then on Friday, I'm going to look at curved running and using that as graded exposure for something like a knee injury or a return to play for a knee or an ankle. And curved running, what, what different types of curves you could use and when you might use one for a medial knee issue, when you might use one the other for a lateral knee issue or a, a medial or lateral ankle issue or an ACL or something like that. So I'll just give you a thought process there. So both videos will only be... 10 to 15 minutes long and if you have 10 to 15 minutes once or twice a week to to jump on board with us then you're going to hopefully learn a lot i try and make the videos where like you watch the video once you spend 10 minutes you watch it you understand it there's no fluff it's nice and clear and then you, you should know it forever so i think that's a big deal we don't want any fluffy content where you're watching a video for an hour only to learn one thing that could have taken three minutes to learn so that's what I'm super hard against and I'm going to make all the content as practical and applicable applicable as possible so um so yeah don't forget to use the code DGR podcast for 20% off to that and um that's DGR interactive so type in DGR interactive and sign up there and uh, apart from that here is Lockie or Lachlan Wilmot from Athletes Authority, a gym that uh, is 
is doing big things that not many other gyms in the not just in Australia or in Ireland or Europe but even in the States not many gyms are doing it around the world so uh, very interesting chat and I think you're really going to enjoy it what's going on not much mate not much how are you I'm good I'm good you just had a new kid yes mate yeah we've uh we what is she she's three weeks old now um so it's my first week back from uh from some small paternity leave um which was nice but uh but yeah we've now got two kids under or two kids under 14 months so it's um it's it's an adventure mate uh, have you got kids no not yet it's um yeah one that a mate of mine said it to me and i'm fucking with him he said one kid's one kid Two kids is three kids, and three kids is four. And mate, it, it kind of feels like that. <laughs> so we've gone from one kid, which is all new, yeah, and then uh, and then the second one rolls, and it just there's just it's a whole nother league, mate. So learning, yeah. learning as I go. <laughs> yeah, congrats, congrats. No, I haven't. I was I was like dead set against it, um, not just not ready. And then my brother had a child a year ago, and he's he's a legend. Like he. You know, I real I actually realized two things. One, like how much hard work it is, because I actually didn't realize because I minded him a few times and literally I could not take my eyes off him for two seconds. And then mm-hmm. secondly, I realized like actually it's kind of cool at the same time. Mm. Well, my he's a, a comedian once said that um that kids at one years of age are like a mini president where you're the fucking security, but the president's trying to kill themselves at every opportunity possible. <laughs> And that is exactly what it feels like, mate. We've, I, um, if I'm giving any advice to anyone, don't have a kid when your other kid's at like one because she's just learning how to stand up, which means she's standing up, she's grabbing things, she's pulling things, she's trying to walk, but she can't quite walk. Um, and so, mate, everything is just like she hits her head so often and you're just like, fuck, how is she even going to survive this? Like it's just, it's brutal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big time, big time. Um, okay, I'm just going to keep that in the podcast then. That, that's important advice. Um, <laughs> yeah, keep it in there, that's fine. <laughs> how, uh, how long do you have? Um, as in time-wise, mate, I'm, I'm sort of, what is it? It's 8 p.m. here now, 8.07. So, mate, um, probably, yeah, I've got an hour, a bit over an hour, mate, for you. That's easy. Cool, man. Um, anything we shouldn't talk about or should talk about or anything interesting? Um, absolutely nothing we shouldn't, mate. Uh, no, I'm definitely I'm definitely uh, an open book. I've um, long been, been saying I think there's people believe there's secrets when there's no fucking secrets, mate. So, um, mm-hmm. nah, and, and as far as what should talk about, but honestly, what, whatever you think uh, is of interest from, from your listeners, you know your, your listeners better than I do. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but, mate, everything, everything is on the table. So um, cool. I'm happy for you to lead it and uh, I'll, I'll go wherever, mate. Yeah. Cool. That sounds good. That's the way it is anyway. I think you listened to one, did you? You listened to one with Matt. Yeah, I've listened to Matt. I've listened to a couple of bits and pieces here and there. I am um, my my current setup actually is really fucking hard for me to listen to podcasts because yeah. life is actually too convenient. Like I, I walk, I walk to work and my facility is literally seven minutes from my house. Um, and I drop my my kid off to daycare on the way. Um, and then I walk back. So it's like literally seven minutes and half of that's carrying a kid. Um, and it's funny because I like when I was working uh, in the AFL and the NRL and I was driving a bit of distances, 
Um, although it was a little bit harder as far as driving, mate, you, you had so much more opportunity to listen to podcasts. I mean, now it's like I'm washing the dishes, so I've consciously got to go, no, I'm going to put a podcast on and listen to it. There's none of this just organic listening. Um, but now I've, uh, I've recently taken up a sort of a, a consultancy part-time role um, with our one of our, our netball uh, teams here, which is in our pro league. So um, gets a, it gets a, the toes back into the, the realm of sport without actually stepping out of athletes' authority. So I've got a bit of drive time back, so it's been good i've been listening to some podcasts now well your seven minute listens are bringing it down there's a on our podcasting whatever it's called where it gives us our stats and stuff yeah. which i don't look closely at it there's listens and then impactful listens and the mm. impactful is like over if they listen to over 75 percent of the podcast and it's uh, very high but you must be one of the people bringing it down for me but, but is that in one chunk or in two? Because I'll, I'll listen to know. I'll listen to a whole podcast, but in seven minute blocks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'd say it could be one chunk, but maybe no. I'd say no. Actually, I'd say it could be. I don't know. Good question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mate, question. The, the stats that roll around on podcasts at the moment are just the, like from the difference between reach, impressions, downloads, listens. Like they're all so different in the way they get measured. You just mm-hmm. don't know what to look at these days. Oh, podcasting is the hardest thing I would say to grow because you don't know what's like, you don't get this instant feedback from people. You know, you put up an Instagram post, you see like comments, people share, they say that was brilliant, blah, blah, blah. You don't get that feedback as quickly, I think, with a podcast. And you can see listens like, but you don't know what people like, what they didn't like and what works. How do you advertise the podcast? You probably, it's very difficult. You want, you don't want to. You know, you could easily waste money advertising and not not get any results yeah. from that. So, because the ironic thing is that like social media is a common place to advertise podcasts, but also social media is what attracts people that don't want to listen for much longer than a fucking minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, well, well they, they love the little tidbits of it, but they don't necessarily then go and listen to an hour long podcast. Yeah, man, mm-hmm. I, I'm, yeah. I think if I was advertising my podcast, I would just advertise it on another podcast mm. so like you yeah. would say on your podcast go and yeah. check out david gray's podcast he has this yeah. episode this episode and this episode that's where i would spend the budget if i was going to do it yeah no it's, exactly and you hit your own target audience there yeah. yeah yeah um do you want to give us a little intro background kind of a yeah yeah oh, yeah what you're doing yeah mate definitely well i'm uh I, like I think every every single introduction that anyone ever does in our industry on a podcast is um, I was a failed athlete, if you want to call it that, um, but uh, but always enjoyed probably the the process more than anything. Love strength conditioning and uh, and yeah, it was a, it was a personal trainer uh, back in the day. Uh, I was a fitness first personal trainer, um, and yeah, so many people have gone through those ranks and and gotten some really good experiences that way. And um, from that transitioned in into some local leagues that I worked with while I was doing my undergraduate and uh, and was lucky enough to get a role with the um, New South Wales AFL program, so Australian Football League um, for those that uh, are not from Australia. But um, um, obviously over there in Ireland, you guys are, are quite familiar with it compared to most nations considering the, the Gaelic football connection. Um, you're stealing, you're stealing some players. of our better lads. Yes, yeah, we do, mate. Yep, that's uh, that's the joys of money, mate, and that's yeah. and then our kickers get stolen by uh, by colleges for their punting, mate. So it's an all yeah. it's a nice little round circle. So wherever the money is, um, but uh, but mate, yeah, loved working through that. That was what I grow up 
grew up playing. Um, so I really loved AFL. Um, and there through that sort of avenue, I just hounded people, um, wanted to work with as many people as I could, assist, intern, um, was lucky enough to, to get some time with the RAS, which is our, our Australian Institute of Sport, their program. Um, and then lo and behold, the, the head coach of that program uh, was the first employee of, of what are now called the, the GWS Giants in the AFL, which is a, an AFL franchise. Um, here in Australia, um, and he wanted me on as the strength conditioning coach real early days when they were just a development squad in 20, geez, what was that, 2010? Um, and there, it sort of evolved from there um, as they progressed into the AFL. And uh, Matt, I was there as the, 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 I suppose, the head strength and power coach, um, even though my title changed every bloody year to senior athletic performance coach, physical prep coach. It's all it's all the same thing, but um, but was there for for eight years, um, and then moved over to the dark side uh, into the NRL in rugby league uh, with the Parramatta Eels, and took up a, a high performance manager role there. Um, had a couple of years there, and and really loved my time in the NRL, and and sort of had the intent to, to be there for a little bit longer, um, considering, you know, we, we'd really implemented some great systems and really kind of wanted to see um, how they could be successful. But um, but probably a year before I joined uh, the NRL, so that is in about 2017, um, I'd already partnered up with my current co-owner of Athletes Authority um, to to set up a, a facility that um, that is now known as Athletes Authority, which is a, a private athlete development facility. So athletes only and and sort of the motto of, of bringing professional sport to the, to the amateur ranks. And, um, and yeah, that was at a stage where it was, was exploding, which was great. Um, but I, uh, I certainly would have been killed by my business partner if I hadn't have, uh, hadn't have transitioned across when I did. Um, so, uh, yeah, after, after a couple of years at, at Parramatta Eels, I um, sort of transitioned to the private sector, which, you know, a lot of people always ask, you know, why would you leave a a pro sport gig when so many people want to get a pro sport gig to go you know, back into the private sector. And, um, and as much as I love, I love pro sport. Um, I think the, the, uh, the desire for a bit of a legacy is, is a bit too strong for me. And I think uh, what we can do at athletes authority is something that can last for a lot longer than, than things that you can potentially do in, in the pro sports sector as much as I, I love it. But, um, but yeah, that's where I've been. I sort of transitioned, um, what was that end of 2019 and um, bang straight into 2020 COVID and it's been COVID ever since mate. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's been a wild ride, but, but even in doing that, we've, we've grown substantially at the uh, athletes authority, which has been great with uh, move facilities. Um, we've evolved a really strong performance rehab arm. Um, so that's, you know, arguably at the moment we're a 50, 50, split between our performance um, and our rehab uh, from a revenue standpoint as as most people know the rehab is obviously a higher portion just because of the the leverage you can have in a in a in a rehab uh, setting but um, but it's been fantastic where we're sitting at what nine physios now we've got nine strength conditioning coaches a sports scientist um, we've got a media team now we've just brought on which has been great and uh, and also just um, acquired an education arm so that's a, an RTO backed education arm that we've we're just launching our our sort of version of certificate three and four, which is our personal training qualification, and um, that's where you want to start. and And we kind of have the desire to to take coaches, personal trainers, whatever you want to call them, from from day one all the way through to um, you know the end point. If if they want to go through the undergraduate ranks, they want to go through the physio ranks and stuff, and and we'll be there to support them all the way. Now, 
look, we may not be able to run a full undergraduate course yet, who knows in the future, but um, but we really do want to nail the, the pre-university type qualifications and also have a lot of postgraduate work, which um, which we're building out at the moment with some really good rehab certifications and that that I suppose the, the modern day physio where they're sort of off the plinth a bit more and actually starting to prescribe exercise, hands-on, coach and stuff like that. And it's a big part of what our physios do is they're, they're on the gym floor and they run rehab sessions that they actually coach. Um, they they program, they design programs, they design energy system development and and they implement that for, for long-term rehab. So um, probably a bit of rambling there, but hopefully that, that gets oh, across Jared, the whole the moment, yeah. I could, I could do five podcasts on what you just said there. So uh, <laughs> we could do five podcasts. Um, you're going big. Well, that's the plan, yeah. There's... It's um uh, uh, I used to used to always get told by a mentor it's either a, a fuck yes or a fuck no. Um, I think that's a good way to look at it. So when you say fuck yes to something, there's no point doing it half assed And um, mm-hmm. it's great that my business partner Carl is is the same as me. He's, he's not about doing things uh, small, and and that's not to say if you wanted to do something small, like there's some fantastic facilities out there, and I know a lot of coaches that that really love just having their clients just working one on one and keeping it to a real select few and. Um, um, it's, it's at the end of the day what gets you up in the morning, and and for me, um, yeah. Look, I, there's no hiding. I love coaching, and I, I'm not a I'm not a as much as I enjoy the business side. I'm certainly not a person that that would like to go in and sit at, a, at an office desk every day. Um, and if you speak to any of my coaches or any of the people that work for me, they kind kind of see the past year of. I've probably had to do that a lot more than I wanted to, um, and it's probably eaten away at me a bit. Um, I'm lucky enough that I only only about a week and a half ago I got the opportunity to step back into into professional sport um, with a with a, a pro club here, which gives me a bit more of a part time involvement, which allows me to coach and program and connect with athletes and work in that environment again. But um, but doesn't actually take me away from athletes' authority, which is which is perfect. So it's a, the dream balance at the moment, mate. So um, so I'm looking forward to to seeing what can come from that. When you said legacy, what's mm. what's the legacy going to be? But I, I think the the legacy for us is obviously. Um, it's it's probably twofold. It's it's one about growth and being able to have a bigger reach. But I think a lot of people get caught up on having a bigger reach without knowing why they actually want a big reach. And for us, we want a, a large reach, not just nationally within Australia, but internationally um, as well, because we firmly believe that the the quality that athletes deserve is not quite there. And <clears throat> there is a lot of athletes that do get amazing coaches, but I think there's a lot of scenarios that don't get it and deserve it. And one example is here in Australia, and to be honest, probably across the world, but I can only talk on uh, Australia because this is where I am, but um, our female athletes are just the the treatment they get um, from a development and athletic development standpoint is just just bordering on malpractice with the amount of injuries that that can occur and do occur uh, in certain scenarios and um, <clears throat> it's something that we really value and we've we've put a lot of effort into supporting a lot of female sporting teams and and female sporting athletes as well that we deal with um, and the demands that get put on them um, without the support is unbelievable so um, that's sort of one area but that also then translates across to a lot of other areas especially Australia where we, we have a lot of social and amateur sports um, you know my, my wife's American and um, 
it's sort of from her when when you finish college you kind of in america that is you, you finish college you, you you're kind of done like you don't really follow on with sport unless you go pro so um a lot of conversations i've had with with her family or friends or anything and you might say oh do you do you still still play basketball or anything like that like oh no i, I finished college yeah so i stopped Whereas Australia, um, and to be honest, probably the UK's got a lot of it as well. There's that real social aspect to like mm-hmm. um, you finish high school, you finish university, you just keep playing. You just play for your local league. Um, and, you know, we, I've played AFL with guys that are sitting into their 50s that, that still rock on down to training, kick the footy around. They then play on the weekend. Um, and that's not to say that we're out to, to help every 50-year-old that wants to be social on the weekend. But what we probably want to look at is there's, there's a hell of a lot of amateur athletes out there that just really want to perform at their best mm-hmm. um, and really want to commit to some really solid training, but more importantly, some good rehab that is just missed. And there's so much just sort of fly by the seat of your pants rehab, and you're, you're going to know better than anyone. But when you look at some of the rehab protocols that that um, these amateur athletes that, that may be 23, 24, still young, still healthy, and still want to perform really well, um, the rehab they get delivered is just just shocking. Um, And even if they do get half decent rehab, it certainly doesn't include the performance aspect. Mm -hmm. So um, talk about legacy to bring a full circle. For me, the, the legacy is actually to try and close the gap. And I think internationally talk about the fact that physios, osteos, chiros, strength conditioning coaches, personal trainers, wherever you want to sit in that, that uh, continuum or realm of, of treatment and delivery of, of any type of athletic performance program, it's not too dissimilar from each other. And this, this whole image of, or oh, that's, you know, there is an aspect to staying in your lane, don't get me wrong, but this whole image of, oh, that's a physio thing, I don't need to know that. Well, that's a strength conditioning thing. I don't need to know that. Mm-hmm. I actually think it's a, a cop-out. I think a, a really, truly integrated um, facility or at least environment is where a strength conditioning coach knows, and I'm pulling this number out of my head, but say 70% of what a physio knows. And a physio knows 70% of what an SNC knows. There's always going to be those aspects that, um, that each individual person is a specialist in and will obviously be the person to go to. But um, I've... I find it ironic. I've heard a couple of people say this, that um, that they they talk about their facility or where they work is really integrated. It's a very integrated approach. And then they go on and say, um, oh, I don't really know anything about that. That's the, that's the strength edition coach's role. Like, but, so when you say integrated, you actually just mean that there's a lot of different people within your facility. Under you're not saying yeah. your knowledge yeah. and your program is integrated because if it was integrated, then you should know quite a bit about that. And they should know quite a bit about what you do. Not necessarily enough to, to take your job, obviously. And we know from an insurance standpoint, strength conditioning coaches are hardly going to put their hands on, on athletes where physios can. Um, but I think the the whole excuse of I don't need to know that because that's a physio thing or an SNC thing or whatever it might be. Um, and I'm using physio and SNC interchangeably. I know there's plenty of other things like exercise mm-hmm. physiologists, athletic trainers. So I don't want to offend anyone there, but um, it is certainly something in my mind that that integrated to me means that you're actually got a collective knowledge, not just a grouping of individuals under the same roof. Mm-hmm. I'm with you on that hundred percent. I think that's, I don't think deeply about like the legacy side of the things for me. I just kind of just maybe, I don't know. But then again, I'm not like, 
a big brand like you guys are and maybe don't have the same vision, definitely don't have the same vision necessarily. But I think that's maybe where I fit in a little bit as well, where it's it's just like if ever if you're working with movement like we I, I i want to know everything that you know i might never be able to but i want to be able to i want like i'm aiming for that and then i want like anyone else to be able to know everything that anyone knows you, you can aim towards that and then ultimately we'll meet somewhere in the middle and if you're working with movement you should understand these different things especially as the physio world is moving towards more of the snc where it's actually you're working with movement you're not just rubbing people and then getting them to do banded exercises so yeah them, them words worlds are colliding together and i think it's get i think it's getting there i do i do yeah. i think it's getting there it just takes it just takes time and like to be honest the like the physio stuff that you see traditionally it, it traditionally has been fairly dreadful like where there is very little progressive overload very little understanding of you know just a- anything in the snc world really apart from just like tissue times this this how long something takes to heal and then kind of off you go again so yeah, yeah i think them worlds are colliding very fast and I, I would say most people probably going into your facility like could you really pick out the physio versus the snc if you're standing on the gym floor and they're doing a session with them you probably shouldn't be able to yeah it's unless like, they're it, on the table of course or whatever you know it's 100 percent true mate i think um we, we sort of joke around with a lot of our physios about you know the best way to get good at coaching our facilities also to train in our facilities so pretty much all our physios will train and we don't expect people to be lifting super amounts and stuff like that but i think getting amongst it and understanding how to move how to lift what um what the the flow on effect is how like as simple as how does it feel to use a certain cable machine how does it feel to set up things on our racks with our bars with our plates and everything like that i think is quite important because you know then what the athlete's going through when you're prescribing it and and especially when you're prescribing things with different heights different widths where you then step onto a a certain height of a box you go oh that's actually really high but i didn't quite realize how high that was when doing it um because again and to be honest it's the same with strength conditioning coaches i see a lot of i say a lot that's a bit it's a bit harsh i've seen quite a few over my years of people that have programmed and you look at the program, you think, it just doesn't feel like you've actually done any of this because the, the sensation of doing this in this order or using this machine or or even the sequencing of trying to go from that end of the gym to the other end of the gym with 16 different bits of equipment, like it's mm-hmm. just not practical. So I think that's uh, it's really important to understand um, all aspects of it. And it's something that's quite foreign to physios that have just been in a clinical setting because mm-hmm. they are used to being predominantly on the plinth and then from the plinth, they just write down the list of exercises that they want the, the athlete or at least their clients to do. And, and they'll tend to do them not with them. They tend to do them at their local gym or at home or something like that. Um, so the concept of coaching someone through a program is quite foreign as well to a lot of physios that have been in a very clinical setting. Yeah. You're coming, you're coming again, you're coming at that from the SNC side of things. From my side of things, it's like I'm saying I'm when I look at physios and did some of the treatments that they're doing. Mm. So I right, I've I've had a shit ton of injuries from playing sport over the years, right? More than most athletes that I've worked with. <laughs> um, I've had a lot of issues and stuff, and that's the reason I'm doing the job I'm doing. But so I can relate a lot of the time to a knee injury or a hip impingement type of thing or an Achilles like I can relate to it that doesn't mean I'm any better or anything I just can relate to it so if 
a lot of the times I see a, a physio doing like there, it's just all. So take take a take a hands on treatment, and it's all hands on, or it's all dry needling, or whatever it is. If that physio themselves got the injury, they would know that that stuff. If if they did that stuff on themselves to try and fix their own injury, they would know that that doesn't doesn't actually really help in the long run. Apart from maybe a little bit of help with symptoms. So like a lot of the time. That's what I'm seeing is like someone who never actually moved, never competed, never trained and never maybe got injured. And so they never understood what a rehab process meant, because if they did, then they wouldn't just keep prescribing the same fluffy little stuff that doesn't really have any long term effects. And you're saying it from then the S&C side of it. And it's to be honest, it's there's probably a third uh, like avenue of that as well, especially in Australia. The like the the UAI or at least the the university acceptance score is so freaking high now because you know demand is it's as simple as that. The more people that want to get in, the higher it goes. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's um that it's a, a, a medical style degree in that fashion where you know neuroscience and all these type of things are through the roof. But because of the demand of physiotherapy in Australia, the, the acceptance has gone through the roof. So often the people that get in are going to be definitely intelligent and I'm assuming most physios are going to be intelligent, but it often also cancels out a lot of these people that that have really good social skills. And I feel like there's a lot of uh, physios coming out now that are very intelligent, almost too intelligent if that's a thing, but their their ability to connect and service athletes is shocking. Like they just, they don't connect. They're not good at the social setting side of things. They're not good at connecting on a deeper level. Um, and at the end of the day, physiotherapy, and to be honest, anything within our realm of the industry, we're a service-based industry. Like if you don't get excited about helping someone else, then it's going to be very hard to last. But on top of that, it's going to be very hard to connect with anyone mm-hmm. because they're there to get your help and they want to value the fact that you're wanting to help them. And it's very easy to tell when people aren't. And I think there's there's getting more of these people that are coming through that very smart, high intellect, but just lack these social skills. Um, now, I know from a university standpoint, I don't know if they can interview everyone and then grade them off their per- interpersonal skills. But I do know in our medical side, that is becoming more of a thing because they were having this issue. So there's a lot of waiting on interview processes within universities to make sure that, that people can actually hold quality conversations and, and actually connect with individuals. And I think it's a, a massive part of our industry as well. Yeah, definitely. I bet you the physios, the physios would say, some of the physios would say, well, some coaches are lacking the intellect and have the social skills. And then that's, yes. so it's, again, yeah. it's just meeting in the and middle. Also, and you know what? It's true as well. Sometimes you can, you get these, these real meathead style people that that probably don't um, value the progressive nature of some of the evidence that's coming out and everything like Mm -hmm. that. But the funny thing is, if you were to put, and this is a sporting context because I do see this quite a lot, you take a very intelligent person that maybe isn't as loud, connective, social and smarter and then the person that's not but creates a really good environment and connects with people, Mm -hmm. that's where these athletes follow them. They, they, get, they get tricked by this bravado. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, when we talk about social skills, that doesn't mean someone needs to be 
overly charming and just just personified in this really big sort of um, this big character or anything. It's just the ability to connect. And some of the best physios I've worked with have been quiet physios, mm-hmm. but just are really good at understanding people and connecting it's, people. It's energy. It's just it, it, yeah. your energy doesn't have to be like through the roof and bravado, like you're saying, but you have to have good energy. And we all know that person where like you, you meet that person and you're smiling a little bit straight away. They don't have to be shouty and cracking jokes, but they just give yeah. off good energy and you get that energy especially in a in a like in a sporting group which all my life has been sporting groups pretty much teams and stuff like that like someone that brings down the energy no it, it, it's a really bad thing you got it you, you have to get them out and athletes won't athletes feel that straight away they've been there their whole lives and they feel that energy and they're attracted to that energy and they care much less about they care much more about that than other things i think which isn't necessarily right but yeah which do you know and you hit the nail on the head with it because it's something that i talk about with our coaches and our physios with our gym floor because if, if when, for anyone out there that's run a gym floor where you might have 12 athletes, 15 athletes on there, the, the ability to start the energy and sustain the energy for the whole session is huge. Mm-hmm. And everyone's had a session where we've walked away and gone, what the fuck was that? Like, Jesus, I just lost them here or this didn't work or it just didn't feel like it flowed. And then you have these sessions where it's just bang, 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 you leave and go, you know what, I feel like so energized from doing that. I'm so excited by what we just did for that hour mm-hmm. was unbelievable. And that's something that I've been trying to instill on our staff of how do you start a good session? How do you maintain the energy when you feel like you're losing the group? How do you bring it back? And um, again, these are things that you don't get taught in university or anything like that, but it's it's a, it's a, it's a social skill that practitioners need to build. Yeah. Big time. I think Naval, Naval said it best. Um, when he's going, do you know who Naval is? Uh, yes. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I don't know him personally, but yeah. yeah. No, I don't know him personally either. Um, he's like this billionaire investor in Silicon Valley for anyone listening. But, um, he, when he's working, if he decides he's going to work with people, three things, good energy, uh, good intelligence and good integrity. And that's a question that I've been asking myself recently when I'm talking to someone or like thinking about hiring or whatever is because you can get tricked a little bit sometimes or like saying, yeah, I, I would maybe go for a beer with that person or whatever. But then when you sit back and say, like, do they have good energy? Do are they are they smart enough? And very importantly, do they have good integrity? Because they can be have great energy and be very intelligent, but lack an integrity. And that's a dangerous person to work with. That's not very the person so. you want to work with. So, hundred yeah. percent, no, yeah. I agree. Um, where where in Sydney are you? Uh, in a place called so Athletes Authority is based in Artarmon, which is like the the North Shore, so North Sydney area. Yeah, I was in. I lived in Sydney for three years. I think I was. I was oh, in. Really? Yeah, I trained in Lift Lift Performance Center. I think which yes, is gone yeah, now. Yeah. The lift is gone, yeah, yeah. End of an era there. Yeah, yeah. that was uh, that was a very popular area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I was only talking to Jamie Smith, who I had on the podcast from Melbourne Strength Culture. Yes, uh, yeah. I was talking to him yesterday because I'm going to go over and do a seminar there. And um, I just said I was I was talking to you today, and he was very complimentary of of you guys and looking at what you're doing and like the the brand that you're building and all that stuff. So he was also right. on the podcast talking about like building a legacy and going international and all this stuff. So maybe it's yeah. an Australian thing. It might, yeah, we, we've got big egos, mate. No, he's, uh, they're, they're great what they're doing there, mate. Especially their podcasts have kicked off with things as well. Um, it's been fantastic. So, mate, if you're doing something there, you should come to Sydney. We'll, we'll set something up. Yeah, definitely, man. 
what um what kind of athlete are you getting professional athletes in yeah so look uh, as a bottom line i think most people agree when i say you don't make money off professional athletes mm-hmm. um now in australia we we don't have exceptionally long off seasons compared to say the u.s um, so if you take our key sports like AFL, rugby league, um, they'll get, depending on how long the pre how, how many seasons have played, they'll get anywhere between sort of six to 10 weeks off. Yeah. Um, but those are you six weeks, mate, they'll finish, they'll be drunk for two weeks. Um, they'll go away for two weeks, providing us like COVID. Um, and then they come back sort of two weeks beforehand and, and most of them aren't going to join a, a a real athletic style gym to commit to a program. They'll, they'll usually just do some basic conditioning work, a little bit of weights, and then they start their, their pre-season. So um, we do get pro athletes that come in the off season to do just general training, to use our facility, connect with our coaches and stuff like that. Um, but we, we don't charge them membership. Like we, all of our athletes are on 12 month contracts. So that's a, probably a unique thing of our environment that we don't believe you can be an athlete in a couple of months. We don't believe athletes dip their toe in um, and, the culture we build at Athletes Authority, the culture we have, is that of commitment and that of people that when I'm lifting, because we do it in, in semi-private models, like I could be lifting next to a, a rugby league player, I'm a, a, a hockey player, and then next to me is a netballer. Um, but the difference is that we're all committed and we all want to get better at our sport. That's the whole reason for us being there. Um, so if we have these fly and fly out people, um, for us, it's not what val- we value. But also it's funny how when you put a 12-month contract and at the end of the day, we're not cheap. We're, we're certainly not the cheapest around, um, that the value that people have on it is far higher. So our attendance is through the roof. Our commitment is through the roof. Our use of recovery, our, our ability to connect because they want to improve on these smaller aspects is, is really big. So it's something we really value. Um, so a majority of our athletes are one, they're, they're professional athletes, but a lot of them are women. So you, you, most people may term it semi-professional simply because a lot of the women's leagues, whether that be um, the A-League being soccer, the AFLW, the NRLW, um, they're on contracts of, say, six months, which includes a small preseason and then their season. Mm-hmm. And then they basically send them off usually to amateur teams where they play a second season, which again is phenomenal when it comes to injury preventative style of things where, you know, for example, our A-League girls, they'll play a full season of soccer. They finish the grand final and then they literally roll into their amateur club, which is in round two or round one of the season. And then they'll play a full season and then they finish their amateur season. They might have two weeks and they kick off preseason again with their with their professional club. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like it's just phenomenal. They never get a quality preseason because they're literally always playing. It happens the same in the AFLW and to an extent the the NRLW. But um, so they're the, they're the ones that we attract the most because they know what professional is. They know what elite is, but they don't. They don't get it for the whole year. And sometimes, to be honest, some of them don't even get it at their professional clubs because they try and cut corners on budgets and things like that. So we do have a large population that are that semi-professional to professional. And then the next one is a lot of these amateurs and youth athletes that, that haven't quite made it or their sport don't support them very well. For example, track and field. 
Now we get track and fieldies that come through, some of them you know, as young as 14 all the way up to sort of 18 into university and stuff like that where, um, you know, our institutes may support only the top one or two within the the, the ranks and then everyone else just drops away. And, um, you know, most of them are trying to be social media models to try and, you know, support the, the fact that they need to pay for flights, they need to pay, pay for their own strength conditioning, all these type of things. So um, that's probably our next level down. And then um, obviously within Australia, field sport, are massive so our rugby union our rugby league and our afl are, are very large um, and then close behind that's all our, our soccer guys and girls um, so we work with a lot of our first grade and those premier divisions that are right on the cusp of of trying to get contracts so um, we, we also have our our handful that are third grade or fourth grade but like i talked about when we've, we've just talked about energy we've just talked about the culture of it and everything that that their whole desire is to get to third grade or to get to second grade. So I don't care if you're a fourth grader that's wanting to get to second grade or you're a 19-year-old superstar trying to get drafted, the energy and the commitment is the same because you want to get better at your sport by following a a correct performance program and doing the right rehab and being dedicated. Mm -hmm. Not to say probably someone who's 19 and looking at it drafted as a pro probably puts in a little bit more, um, but the energy is the same. And so that's why we encourage it. As I said, we, we do have a, a smaller portion of that, but we certainly do have athletes like that that we support. And, and some of them are some of our hardest trainers. Yeah, that's so good. In like, it sounds very similar to in Ireland, to be honest, like where we have, like in the GAA, they are Gaelic football or hurling. The athlete mm-hmm. is training, the, the best athletes are, are playing for their inter-county team for, well, they've kind of split the season now. But that before, that would have been nine months of the year. Then with their club team, which is the, the level down, and that would have been kind of dispersed throughout the inter-county season. And then some of them might be playing with their college team and stuff as well. So literally, they're not getting a pre-season probably. Or they're getting a pre-season in one, with one team. And they're actually competing for their college and playing games on the weekend with another team. And it's just an absolute mess. So it's, it's, uh, they're trying to clean it up at the moment, but it's very hard. But then when I talk to coaches in, in the States, like if you look, there's pro athletes on every single corner on every street mm-hmm. and they're training like every, every coach, you go into any coach's bio in, um, in America. And it's like, I train 200 yeah. NFL, NBA, blah, 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 blah. Yep. And they're just, yep. they're just everywhere. The money is there and they get, they actually get time off their sport to train. And um, that's, that's the key, mate. The, the length of their off season means mm-hmm. that they can't just throw together a couple of weeks of ad hoc training. They actually need to commit to a, a, some sort of program, but it is also because of the number of pro sports that actually almost alternate off seasons. So like here, we're probably the only kind of, we like all of our biggest sports, all bloody field sports, they all start at the same time, with the exception of cricket, um, which you know, if you're in the US, you probably don't even know what it is. But you know, you, you look at rugby league, AFL, rugby union, and soccer, our four big field sports, they literally all kick off at the same time almost. Mm-hmm. So the off season's all the same time, but the off seasons are quite short, as I said. Um, whereas in the US, you, you combine your your NHL, your NBA, your MLB, and then NA, uh, the NFL. Um, the four of them, they, they actually don't all coincide. So you, if you're a private facility, you could potentially every three months have a, have a, a new um, lot of pro athletes in from a different sport. Um, so it's, yeah, it's interesting. And it's also probably 
in the US far more common to move um, for a lot of a lot of sports. Um, so you yeah, then sort of go home for the off season and stuff like that. Um, a lot of the, the players here will move and live in the the city. So even like for example, you know the AFL Sydney Swans and the Giants they live there, so they'll go to the facility and use it in the off season. So if they've only got two weeks. They're probably not going to go somewhere different. They'll just go to the, the the gym that's at the facility, use the facility gym with a couple of other players, and they do that for two weeks leading into to the start of preseason because preseason's so long for us as well. So they've mm-hmm. got the time to get good. You know, with some of the preseasons are twelve weeks in length, thirteen weeks. Mm-hmm. Like that's a long time to get fit. <laughs> yeah, it's a great amount of time, especially yeah. in my world. You're trying to clean up a couple of issues or whatever. Yeah. It's actually a substantial block of time to do that. Um, yeah, if I could do if I could do one thing that I'm like not doing now at the moment, which is working more one to one, bit online, people come here for longer rehab in person. I would probably want to do if if money wasn't an issue, right? You just said right, this would be successful for you no matter what. I would do something like I would do something like you're doing, just not not on as big a level, but I'd love to have a facility just for just for athletes, really. But maybe I will at some stage with with that integrated approach, physios, SNCs, different stuff like that. But um, I think I don't know. I think I I, I can't think of a gym in Ireland that's doing that. Yeah, because and, of the lack of pro athletes. And it's there's probably it's funny because a lot of I'll put it this way. There's there's really no other facility in Australia that is pure athletes, that only has athletes. Uh, most, most facilities will do general pop and athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest, when we started, that's what we were. That's how we evolved. We were general pop. And we kept telling ourselves, like, can, can we really just do athletes? Is there a market to be able to just do athletes? And we even started with the slogan, and, and I'm sorry to offend anyone that's got this slogan because it's probably popular. It's, Anyone can be an athlete. It is absolute bullshit because if anyone out there is very good with their market and understanding branding and everything, when we branded that style of image and the way we put a lot of our imagery out, we had general pop looking at the gym going, I don't want to train there because it looks too serious. And then we had athletes because we were trying to market general pop. As well, we had athletes looking and going, well, I don't really want to lift to next to you know, some overweight Karen that's just squatting. Like I want to go somewhere that's a little bit more um, serious, that's not having the general pop. So therefore probably things like CrossFit and stuff like that were more attractive to them. So we found we're in the middle and we weren't actually getting anyone. Um, we actually ended up building this real powerlifting culture because, to be honest, their general pop to an extent, and like they're competing, but let's be honest, powerlifting at the moment, unless you're really doing it um, in the elite levels, is a real social sport. It's become really popular, which is great. But it is. It's, it's more of a social sport. It's a barbell-style sport, and it attracts people that want a serious gym, but also they're not non-barbell sport athletes that are then competing on the weekend in certain aspects. So we sort of got to say, like, well, we can't keep doing this. So we said, well, let's do the athlete side. And we had a lot of people say that, oh, you should try and market to pro athletes, get the off-season. And to be honest, a lot of people do think that. They think, oh, I'll get the pro athletes to come in. Having worked in pro sport, I knew that the one person that was not going to pay to come into a gym is a pro athlete. So straight away we said, well, we can't make money off pro athletes, so don't even bother trying for it. 
So we went, well, the market's got to be these people that want to try and make it, these people that we need to tell them and show them how they're missing such a large aspect of what they need to get to the professional ranks. Um, and obviously leveraging the fact that I was in professional sport, we could always come from that, that place of authority, uh, forgive the pun there, but the, the authority of saying that, well, this is what I've seen in pro sports and this is what would be great for juniors and amateurs to be able to do. And we just bit the bullet. And to be honest, it was over a couple of month period, we literally cleared out all our powerlifters, finished them, cleared out all of our weightlifters, finished them. We canned all of our general memberships, finished them. We put them to such tiny hours. They could only come before 5 a.m. or after 9 p.m. No one wanted it. Easy. They're gone. Um, and no word of a lie, we skimmed ourselves straight back to just the athletes we had at the time and then pushed the marketing for athletes, testimonials for athletes. And there was plenty of nights where we sat there and just went, fuck, have we skimmed this way too thin? Like, are we actually going to start making money here? Um, and lo and behold, we started to, to build that image of athletes and, and athletes told other athletes and parents started talking about their kid who was working at, working, was training at Athletes Authority and then the other parents would ring their kid. And, and so this, this just slow snowball effect started to build and we started thinking, well, actually, we're starting to, to get something here. Um, but there was such and this is all due respect to physios that we've worked with, but one of our biggest areas was trying to deal with physios externally where we're trying to load people. And you would have dealt with it all the time. There's the two class of physios, the physio that wants to put load into an athlete and a physio that wants to protect the athlete from load. And we all know the one that wants to protect them from load is the one that's always going to butt heads with strength and conditioning coaches and performance managers and stuff like that. So we found ourselves just butting heads and just finding it so hard to, to instill what we wanted to do. So we said, screw it. Let's bring our own physios in and see how we go. So we started that. We brought in physios and um, we had this concept of, well, can we try and do it like we do in pro sport where the physio will treat but then also go onto the field and be in the gym and work with them across all these levels. And, um, yeah, that's where it sort of evolved and started to build from that. And um, and obviously, as I said, the, the, the revenue side from the physio and rehab arm is always going to be bigger than, than the performance arm um, simply because of the – obviously the requirements and, and the, the fact that they get good rebates and, and Medicare and everything like that. Um, but it's, it's amazing the balance we now get of our, our athlete development program or our performance program and our rehab program. And the way people hear about it is mind blowing. We had, we had a professional where we, a handful of professional rugby union girls train with us uh, with a local from a, from one of our main teams here. They talk about us at training they one of their people that got injured did that did her ACL was in the hospital and she hadn't even come to us and there was another there was a junior girl there who played touch football and had done her ACL and the father and mother were talking and going like you know how, what do we do from now and now talking to the the surgeon there and the surgeon said yeah you'll need to find a good physio to do some rehab we have some connections here and stuff like that and they had a bit of a chat and this this girl from the rugby union team heard and then sort of opened the curtain and said to to be honest if you're going to go anywhere you've got to go to athletes authority um and they ended up coming signed up we did ACL and the girl from the rugby team also ended up coming to us as well. Mm -hmm. But it was just mind blowing that that story, like for us is 
that is probably the most powerful story that we've heard from a branding standpoint that 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 is how we've attracted an athlete to us. And that's exactly how we want to attract athletes to us. We want other athletes to be saying that if you're going to do it, this is where you do it, that that we have the trust of athletes, we have the trust of coaches yeah. and, you know, and surgeons because, funnily enough, we have a lot of our, our key surgeons in Sydney referring athletes to us to do their rehab and so much so that we have a number of the surgeons' kids now train with us for their sport. So when the surgeon's happy to send their kids, you know that you're doing something right. So mm-hmm. uh, this is the type of traction that we've built. And, mm-hmm. and to be honest, mate, it, it all started with us sitting there going, fuck, can we actually just do athletes? Like, yeah, that's it's possible. Class. And that's brilliant. it's just pulling the trigger and going for it. And that's not to say you can just pull the trigger and everything's going to happen. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's a lot of work involved. And I still look at it now and um, I have this debate with, with it's not really a debate, but with my business partner, Carl, um, around do you reckon if we were to do it all again, you could just open and just be athletes straight off the bat? Or do you reckon you'd need to be able to, to go through that evolution again? Um, I don't know the answer, to be honest, personally. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I think I think now with, with the branding and to be honest, maybe because people have seen that it can be done, potentially it, it, it can be done by another brand because hopefully mm-hmm. coaches and athletes have started to recognise the importance of it because that's the, the biggest thing. It, it's, it's not always having the place to go. It's knowing that the population believes in what you're doing. And I think over the past five years, um, we've seen a big shift in, in the, the athlete and coach population to understand that this private sector is a place where you can do proper and full-time, I'll call it full-time strength and conditioning. Um, you don't need to go to your local gym and hope that they know about sport, mm-hmm. that you can actually hunt down what is known as a strength and conditioning coach or a performance coach. Um, and then obviously, hopefully come to Athletes Authority where you also get the physio side, the recovery side, you know, you have your own mini performance team. Mm-hmm. When you were cutting it down, you should have had like a combine, a pro day or something like that. Just like, yeah. if you can't pass these tests, you're out. <laughs> no more yeah. membership. Exactly. And in fairness, you know, like, obviously we don't have a combine, it's not like ruthless, but we have, we have fired, probably the wrong word, but we have blocked people from coming. We've told them that, no, you're not a right fit. We've had people that have said, oh, I used to play sport, but now like, I don't play sport, but I just I take it really seriously. And it's like, well, unfortunately, we're not for you, and we refer them on. Mm-hmm. Um, same with rehab, you know, where someone comes and goes, I don't play sport, but I want to rehab my my hip with you. It's like, well, that's we, we rehab back to sport. That's what we do. Um, and the same as, oh, I've rolled my ankle. I want to come to you. But no, we, we don't do anything under three months because mm-hmm. if it's under three months in our setting anyway, it's a lot more of that interrelation with the physio. You probably don't need to go into the gym and do this integrated approach and you don't have the longevity that we want. If we're doing it, it's long-term rehab, so to speak. So um, it is a key lesson for those people out there that, that are opening gyms or running running facilities now. Um, don't be afraid to be very specific with what you do um, yeah. because every time we've bent on our own rules, um, it's come back to bite us. It's there's it's it's hurt some energy it's been non-committal it's they've been the problem person um and it still has doesn't matter how how good you get at being strict there's always someone that you bend the rules for in some way shape or form and uh and yeah lo and behold they're the ones that end up coming back to bite you Mm -hmm. what are you is there anything commonly that you're rehabbing now or more commonly rehabbing 
Uh, look, our, our biggest one is ACL, without a doubt. Um, we, we have a huge number of ACLs um, of all different graphs. Um, uh, so we're probably the most, again, it's not the most common, but the, the newest trend we're starting to come through is the non-operative ACL, mm-hmm. um, working around certain bracing techniques. We've been working with, with, uh, with one of the surgeons here um, that's been or one of the physicians that's um, that's looking at bracing protocols and stuff like that. Um, so that's probably the most interesting thing that, that our rehab crew and our physios have been looking at is, is looking at that ACL healing um, and, and seeing the, the turnaround and the timelines of that type of work. Um, other than that, there's probably, you know, we, we have a, a major ACL interest and then we have shoulders, we have ankles, we have a few hips, um, you know, we, we have especially with our junior athletes, we do see a number of those stresses. We see lumbar stresses. Um, we see shin stress, um, which is probably the, the hardest one to play with, as you can imagine, like dealing with parents, dealing with school, state, rep, all these different things that they want them to, to either play for or run for. Um, that's been a balancing act. Um, and look, it, it is also the same as when we have our juniors in our performance program, the, the old story of, we say we think they're doing too much. We've got to reduce their load. We've got to work out the priorities. We've got to work on this. And, and then a couple of months later, they're like, oh, my back's quite sore. Like it just feels like it's really sore. And you think in your head, you're just like, crap, like this is big red flag straight away. And yeah, it turns out they've got a, yeah, either a stress response or a full-blown stressy, depending on how long you waited. But um, that, that at the moment is probably our hardest thing to deal with is, is how, how do we um, get a little bit more impact with parents and other coaches to understand that mm-hmm. it's not just something you can sweep under the rug. Like these kids will will start to break down, and then then and the annoying thing is it's usually around that 15, 16 mark mm-hmm. of age when they're actually like that's the pinnacle when they've got to kind of be involved. Like especially in AFL, like you get drafted at seventeen and nine months or eighteen years of age. And to be honest, if you're not drafted, it's bloody hard to make it through the secondary ranks. So it's it's ruthless. But if you're not available at the right time to be seen by the right people, um, mm-hmm. it, it does. It makes or breaks your career. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last thing that, that you want are these kids getting these long-term injuries around the 16, 17 That's mark. Stage. And you're yeah. like, oh. It's, um, send them over so here. Know. Send them the people like the, the kids that don't get drafted. Send them here. Get them to play football for six months, and then they'll get drafted over. Exactly. Um, yeah. If, they, if they're impressed in the Gaelic leagues, and the age yep. love them. Yeah. Exactly. Technically, <laughs> technically, they can be a category B rookie, a nice little international. <laughs> oh yeah. Exactly. Exactly. The um, is that so? You're 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 rehabbing so many different things. There is that where like the I think you have a sandpit. Yes, an yeah, air yeah, track, yeah. your little amplitude boxes and stuff like that. Yeah. Anything else? Yep. Any other things I'm uh, forgetting? Oh, mate, we got everything, everything. No, I know we, you do. Yeah, we, we try and have a, a good range of things, but yeah, we we <clears throat> we have. Um, look, it's oh, being completely transparent. It's, it's a twofold. One, it's amazing to be able to have the ability to do what we want at any time. Mm-hmm. If you had a facility, do you need a sand pit? Obviously not. Do you need an air track? Obviously not. Do you need amplitude boxes? We sell them and I'm going to tell you, obviously you don't. Um, But what it is also very powerful is at the end of the day, when we bring athletes through, there is an aspect to the same as why colleges, like Division I colleges, 
Right? They don't need, like Oregon Ducks don't need gold ducks hanging in their bloody foyer. They don't need that. But guess what? It has an image to the athlete and it's that authority that speaks to them. For us, not as much our general, like our athletes that come in as 19, 20-year-olds. Obviously, they still like to see that there's every opportunity there. Mm -hmm. But what it does do is it really sets us apart for our junior athletes because a lot of our parents and junior athletes have been not scarred, but they've certainly been exposed to the personal trainer that says they can help them. And then they just bulk them up or they just load them incorrectly and stuff like that. So a uh, part of what our facility does is not only provides the best place that our coaches and our rehab um, physios can implement anything they need at any time, it also allows us to give the image and show the parents we're not a gym. Mm -hmm. Like we are a performance facility what we do with your child, and again, me now having two kids, you do anything to protect them, that you don't trust people easily with them, that you want them to know from the get-go that this is a place to trust um, because we are, because the priority is the health and well-being of your child. It's not about let's put them on a leg press and see what they can leg press. Mm -hmm. So them seeing the amount of options and the way we do it, and uh, yeah, there's even little things, you know, like we – our first facility, we had black turf. Now, as a strength conditioning coach, as someone in the industry, I was like, how good is this? Black turf looks sick. Unreal. And then goes on social media, people post everything up, blah, blah, blah. And of all the people, I was talking to my dad. And my dad goes, so I thought you guys were doing like athletic stuff, you know, in the, the old dad voice. And I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah, well, yeah, he goes, oh, all I see is just weights. And I'm like, well... That's kind of like, well, yeah, like we're strength edition case. So we, we do weights to it. He goes, it just looks like weightlifters. And to be honest, I couldn't argue with it because I'm like, well, you know what? Like my old man's a bit older and Bobby doesn't understand it, but it's also like that's what a lot of athletes and parents would look at. They don't see any difference from that to a fitness first or anything like that. Yeah. So we said, well, you know what, why don't we do some that, like why don't we get people bounding and throwing? Like we, we need to be conscious of what we're putting out there, that it's not like we might see someone doing a really good box squat into a vertical jump and we think, how good is this? Good little contrast, blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't scream athleticism to people that don't know. Mm -hmm. It looks, it screams to people that do know, but they're not the people we're targeting. Yeah. And then, so then when we started doing this pushing and bounding and everything, um, I, I, again, went back to the old man. I go, do you, do you reckon it's better, like, the jumping and pushing on the turf? And he goes, what, what do you mean the turf? He didn't see you. And I, and I go, the, the turf, like the, like the astro turf. Like, you don't have astro turf. <laughs> and he has walked through the facility. And I said, what do you mean we don't? Like, it's there. And he goes, oh, I didn't even know because it was black. Mm. And I'm like, you know what? Mate, again, I think you've hit the nail on the head. So when we went to the new facility, we said, you know what? We have to speak to what people feel and we want to evoke the emotions that we want them to. So guess what? Turf is green. When you see turf, you think, well, sorry, when you see green, you think turf, you think athleticism, you think field sports. Boom. Mm -hmm. Guess what? Green turf. Track. You think of that ugly Mondo look and get, I hate the color. I hate it. But guess what? That's what you think. So guess what? We have a track. And it's the color of what Olympic track looks like. Mm -hmm. You could have gone a cool blue or we could have done something else, but that's not what screams track. You know, that's why we put it there. 
Um, so these little things are things that we learned well in our first iteration. And as I said, sometimes it takes a, a simple comment from your old man saying, you don't have turf and all you do is lift weights to go, well, you know what? We, we probably need to change what we're marketing. And, it, and it's a, a bit of an analogy for everything we've probably done over the past 12 to 18 months of, of really making sure that when we talk on social media or any content stream, and this is the same for when we talk with our clubs, that we're not talking to strength conditioning coaches, even though a lot of our education is, and we do have certain things that obviously uh, appeal to strength conditioning coaches and physios, mm-hmm. but we need to evoke the emotion <laughs> of the people that, that maybe don't know that they need it. Mm-hmm. We want to set ourselves apart and show that we're different to a gym or anything like that. So, um, so that's probably one of the biggest things that sort of come across in a lot of stuff we've done, done recently. Um, coming back to the same as the, the sandpit, you know, we, we, we have a sandpit. So <clears throat> the reason we got the sandpit was because we had a big loading dock and it would be really expensive to put a floor over the top to, to remove it. We didn't want a huge loading dock there because all it does is people store stuff in it. It looks terrible. <laughs> so we first thought, well, why don't we fill it as a foam pit for jumping? I'm like, I don't know if it's deep enough. And then my wife said, she used to do gymnastics and she goes, when she did gymnastics every, every month or something, they all had to clean the foam pit out. And there's always a dead rat at the bottom of the phone. <laughs> I thought, that is not something I want. So he said, well, how much is it going to cost to put sand in there? Make it a sand bit. We can use it for some really good footwork. We can do it for some contact drills, wrestling drills. We can use it as a long jump position. Um, and we're like, surely it's expensive. Um, but anyway, nine tons of sand and it cost us $280. Yeah. Boom. There you go. Simple as anything. Dumped it in. We shoveled it all the way through and, and lo and behold, it was, it was a great result. And it's sort of out of, not out of necessity, but more out of just, you know, mm-hmm. elimination of other options. Yeah. Um, but again, it's been fantastic. It's a fantastic adjunct to what we do. Yeah. It's certainly something we could easily train people without, but yeah. it, it certainly adds to what we do. Yeah. yeah, it's nice to have options. Like in, in Matt's podcast with the plyometrics, like he was saying how he doesn't use any props for anything. It's just like old-fashioned jumping and, and different variations moving in different ways, whatever. And like I think that's great. And I, I kind of subscribe to that as well. But it's still like you look out into our gym, we have different boxes and different stuff because I think especially in the rehab world, it's nice to have options. You have a shin splint person, like they can't they they might be able to jump but they can't land or whatever. Yeah. So you know so many different options. I have my brother owns a gymnastics gym up the road. He has an air track there. He has a bouncy mat, all this stuff. So yeah. like it's and, there if I need it. And you know what? Um, I'm sure people disagree with me on this. There is such thing as entertainment, mm-hmm. and I'm a massive believer in it. Is it the core of it? Hell no. But if anyone out there works with youth athletes or children, they ain't doing the same exercises over and over. Mm-hmm. You need to stimulate. You need to challenge. You need to have unique options that they can get enjoyment out of and somewhat be entertained to build a good stimulus and to build engagement. And that's not to say they should be doing bloody um, Ninja Warrior courses every session. Mm -hmm. I I also do not believe in that side either. I think there needs to be good play, good structure, all moulded together nicely. Um, And that's where things like the air track, the sandpit are really good things. Some of our, our coaches use that as a reward. It's like, you know, we'll do these three things and then we get to do this drill in the sandpit. Like, oh, how good's that? And they get excited. Um, yeah. I think some people take it a little bit too seriously sometimes and go, oh, 
just because you don't need it, if you don't need it, don't get it. And mm. I actually disagree with that. There's a yeah, lot of things in the gym that is a want, yeah. um, not a need. Yeah. And if someone gave me a, a, a bloody backyard garage with a broomstick and a mini band, yeah, I reckon we could do some stuff. We could make mm. things happen. But if I don't have to do it in that situation, then you better believe I'm going the other way and going big because I have options to use when I need them. Mm. Um, and a big example is that within our youth program, um, 6 a.m., a 12-year-old kid coming in, mate, you better believe that they need some sort of motivation to get going. They need to be – you can't just be a good guy. They can't just be motivated to get better. It, mm-hmm. you know, too many people that that sit there with their um, you know, life coaching and stuff like that, it's like they've just got to find internal motivation. And like, that's all a crock. Like they're 12 years old. Like at the end of the day, you're there to make sure they have the best outcome. And often the best outcome is for you to build options for their engagement, their stimulus, and to make sure they enjoy what they do. Because if they're enjoying it, they're going to buy into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think more, more than that, which you touched on there as well, is like just good rounded athletic development. I guess some athletes, I actually am working with Kate, who's a race walker at the moment. I put up some clips over the odd time and like, she she did everything in the gym like she was walking. She just did so much walking from such a young age. That, like that was just how she kind of looked like she did everything, every lift, everything. And we just started throwing medicine balls, like plyometrics. She doesn't need to jump in her sport, just lifting in different ways. And like very uncoordinated in the beginning and gets better so quickly and her walking feels better and everything looks better and she's just more a more well-rounded athlete so sometimes just because you can't measure the stimulus like okay you actually put on five more more kilos on the bar or you've got an extra couple of reps that 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 might not be the be all end all all of the time it's it's important to have that nudging forward but I think I'm this year, probably last 12 months, I've gone big on that kind of rounded athletic development and exposing people to all these different tasks and skills and, and lifts. And I think, I think that's a very valuable thing to have that mixture involved. I really do. I really do. And then I was going to say one other thing. Oh yeah. You were saying like the, the, the look of the, the look of the place and showing what you're about and not just, not just lifting that's something that I've changed a lot recently because I didn't have like, I, I rarely had up on my Instagram. If I look back on my Instagram over the last 12 months, maybe I didn't have much plyometrics in there. I didn't have much lifting in there. I was talking a lot about like breathing and biomechanics, which is actually like a decent part of what I do. But like someone coming on for the first time would think like he's just rehabbing an ACL by like getting doing breathing drills when it's like yeah. it might be session one or two where we're just trying to get the rib cage moving so that we can go and throw a medicine ball and it looks a bit better and yeah so I've made I haven't done more lifting recently with athletes I haven't done more plyometrics I've just been posting more of it to show yeah. like this is what we actually do you know because yeah. I, I need to separate myself from the coaches who are just doing breathing drills and like everything is just get the rib cage moving and like this is enough to get people moving it's it's not yeah. like it's just so yeah i and had that, to be that was a big realization i had and that's really social media isn't it because like realistically if you look across all the the good coaches and physios and stuff that are working with athletes m- most of them are doing a lot of good things that are fairly similar uh, so what tends to happen is when someone posts something that may be a part of their 10% or their 15% of uniqueness, people then jump. Well, that's interesting. So 
people want to know more. So people post more about it. And like you said, you can start to build this thing is that if you use the example of breathing, if you have a lot of people engaged because they may not have done it before, you're innately going to add a little bit more, add more. And then before you know it, it could have been months. And you're like, geez, all I've been doing is breathing stuff. And when people pop on, they think all you do is breathing, but it's like, well, it's actually only, you know, the, the 10% of what I do, but I actually do so much more here. But because it was a little bit unique, people engage with it more. Therefore, I felt yeah. like I needed to educate people more. It's, yeah. it's, and, and people love to categorize people into that, isn't it? Like yeah. it's it's no one's, oh, he's a strength conditioning coach anymore. It's like, oh, he's a hamstring guy or he's a breathing guy. or you know, They've all yeah. got that thing when realistically it's potentially just the the 10 or 15% of what they do that happened to, to be more engaged because it was a little bit different at the time and, uh, yeah. and people just peg it that way. So. Exactly. I presume people knew like, like that I didn't need to post a picture or a video of a back squat to say like, okay, you're rehabbing someone's knee. Like you want to get them squatting, but actually yeah. Yeah. I realized, no, you do. The same as I didn't realize I needed to put green turf down. Yeah, for- <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. What else did I have? No, I was, I was, I was interested in talking about the, some of that stuff. Cause Matt, like I thought, I, I loved how Matt put it about like the equipment where it was just like, like sometimes a hurdle or we're just adding things for the sake of it. And like you look yeah. at some old school athletes who are getting some really good stuff done without ever needing any equipment or very little barbells or weights or anything like just sprinting and jumping can take you so far. But then definitely in the rehab process, having some of that stuff is nice. Um, and to be honest, I think it's, it's important because it's probably a little bit, I think of a, an old school coach versus a new school coach. And I think the the fact that any coach should be able to get stimulus without a box mm-hmm. or a hurdle. Like whenever I've used something, it's not necessarily because I couldn't have gotten it another way. It's often because I find, especially for me, and, and to be honest, we, we probably come from different backgrounds, the two of us from, um, the, from a plyometric standpoint where all of my contextual plyometric work is in team environments where I'm coaching 15 to 20 people at once, mm-hmm. people that do not innately sprint, that don't have that natural tendency for it and don't usually combine it with their mm-hmm. skill work. Like a sprinter, uh, track and field will te- typically do plyo blocks and then go and sprint and it's all sort of moulded into one. Um, so a lot of the stuff that I do is based on working with these team sport athletes in the environments I've been with. So when I'm looking looking at trying to create more distance or more height, I can't stand there and coach that for every single one. And I've got 15 of them doing it. So the easiest thing is I put out a cone that they have to hit, or I put up a, a, some sort of constraint. I put a hurdle that they all need to get over. Um, So that's where it evolves from there. So when I use an implement, it's not because I can't get the response another way with less. It's because it's easier in the environment than I'm in. And that's going to be different for everyone. Whatever environment you're in, you're going to start to, to use your, your best options and whatever it is. And if you're in an environment that you're working with someone that's used to doing plyometrics or you can work one-on-one with them, then, yeah, you can you can do it however you want. And that's, at the end of the day, that's where, yeah, there's there's many, many uh, roads to roam and, and everyone's a little bit different in the way they do it. And the athletes you work with are going to be different in the way that you do it. Yeah. Um, so I think it's the premise of that is true that, that coaches need to be able to do that. And if they can't, there's probably a, an issue. Um, it's the coaches that that sort of see things superficially and then just go, well, I'm just going to do box jumps because that's that's what I've seen on Instagram. When in actual fact, a box, box jump is arguably the lowest form of jump training that you can do. 
my box jumps that I use are for very young people or for in-season athletes that I want to deload landing. Yep. So people say, oh, I see, I saw Lachlan do a box jump with a, a million-dollar player and, uh, yeah, so that must be a really good exercise. Like, well, no, it's just for that team sport athlete that has sore as hell patella tendons because they've just played a game on the weekend, but I still want to get something, that's the stimulus I'm going for. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, as I said, there's a, a thousand ways to do it, but it's always contextual and some people miss the context, yeah. Very well said. Um, last question for you. You're on a desert island. You have a week there. Who, what three people are you bringing with you? Can't be family. Uh, preferably, like, in the industry are people that you could coach with, not just someone that you'd go for a session with. Um, but, yeah, it doesn't have to be strictly coaches. Like, it could be a business person. It could be whatever. So, um, so if I'm stuck on a desert island, it's actually a bloody tough question here because mm-hmm. people like a, a Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, I think would be amazing to have dinner with, mm-hmm. but I reckon they'd be annoying as hell to be stuck on a desert island with because I think they're just so eclectic. I reckon I'd probably not mix with them very well after that. A season. week, like dinner. That's why I don't ask about dinner. A yeah. week is a long time. Yeah, it is. So, so do you say just for a week, was it? For one week? One week. Okay, yeah. So I reckon, I think um, it would have to be, oof, I think someone like a, a Michael Jordan would be one from an mm-hmm. athletic standpoint. I would love to spend some time understanding how he probably more so went between sports and then went into a coaching role. I'd find that that very interesting, I think. Um I'd have to have someone from the industry, I think. I'm trying to think. It's very hard to get some because I, I, I don't think there's one person that I, I just would solely have. But I, I really think probably an Alva meal would be someone that, that I would like because I think the, the coach like that has seen so many variations of things that being able to, to pick the brain of someone like that for a week around how many things they've seen happen and fail I just think they've seen it go around so often that that sometimes when I see new things come out, I just think of someone like an Alvin Mill that goes, oh, I saw this 20 years ago or 50 years ago, whatever it might be, and I just like, yeah, that, I think that would be powerful. Um, and to be honest, the last one, I would actually probably go Jason Statham. I'm a massive <laughs> Jason Statham fan. Because you have the same haircut. Well, yeah, do, do you know what the, the stupid thing is? So many people go, oh, you, you look like that Jason Statham guy. I'm like, no, I don't. I've got a shaved head. That is that is exactly the only thing that looks like him, and that's where it stops. But um, but I've loved him since Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, one of the originals, and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, I think he was, he was ripped off not getting Bond. Um, but I think he would be an absolute blast to have. So I think probably those three combined. I don't think he's a Bond. I, don't, I, don't, yeah. I think he's still cheesy. Yeah, I don't think he's you're a saying Bond. Bond's not cheesy. Bond, Bond is cheesy. No, Bond is cheesy, <laughs> but he has. I, I think he's done too many like cheesy films where it, it's just like I'm just this guy who goes and kills everyone and beats the shit out of everyone. And yeah, maybe yeah, Bond no, has no, done I'm, that too. In fairness, I'm not disagreeing that, but I, I'm probably yeah. I feel like Daniel Craig could have been a good Bond, but they've delivered him terrible movies. I feel like he's been he's been ripped off by the writing and the directing of some shocking movies. Yeah, yeah. I like Daniel Craig. I think he he was a decent Bond, but the movies weren't great. Yeah. And the last movie was terrible. 
Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm yeah, glad you're oh, very God. poor. Very poor. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where can people find you? Mate, um, me as an individual, uh, Instagram is probably the easiest, uh, performance coach underscore Wilmot. Um, and then Athletes Authority is at Athletes Authority, all one word, um, on Instagram. And uh, and anything else you want can, can sort of get through that, um, the website and everything like that. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it, mate. Great chat. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Any other words of wisdom? Are we good? No, mate. I think uh, I think uh, I've spoken enough for, for tonight, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, there's some takeaways for people. Um, but uh, no, 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 no big wisdom ideas, mate. I'll uh, I'll, I'll leave it there for the night. <laughs> All right, brother. Thank you. <laughs>